you have to take baby steps, but you also have to give yourself the chance. Like you have to jump off the diving board before you know that you can do it. Welcome to Unspoken Bravery. I'm your host, Erin Milzinski, a multiple time Olympian. Skiing started as my first love and quickly became my greatest teacher. This podcast is meant to take a deep dive behind the capes of our everyday superheroes and find out what's under the brave spirits, the fearless feats, and the nerves of steel. It's normal to feel fear. Hardships lurk around every corner, and yet these roadblocks can be met with a challenger's mindset and turned into wonderful gifts. It's time to celebrate imperfections, to build bravery from setbacks, and to take our goals to the next level. So let's dive right in. Hi everyone and welcome back or welcome to Unspoken Bravery. Today I am talking to Broderick Thompson, my ballroom dancing partner in the off season. As you will hear, Broad is from Whistler, BC and started to ski as soon as he could start to walk. He played many sports growing up, including baseball and figure skating, before eventually choosing alpine skiing. Throughout his years on the Canadian ski team, Broad has set himself apart as one to watch in the speed disciplines and alpine combined. He has some amazing slalom skills. In 2018, he suffered a devastating knee injury during a preseason crash before the Lake Louise season kickoff, and he crashed in Nikiska. And it took two seasons of intensive rehab before Broad made his comeback and eventually, this past December in 2021, landed himself on the World Cup podium in Beaver Creek. He is a two-time Olympian, an avid sports enthusiast, and you should see the work he's done on his Toyota Tacoma. All by himself, it's beautiful. Broad's sister, Marielle, is on the Canadian Ski Cross team. She is a two-time Olympic medalist and multiple-time World Cup champion. So with that little bit of information, let's dive right in. Hey, Broad, and welcome to Unspoken Bravery. (laughs) Thank you. It's good to be here. It's been a long time coming, I feel like. I know. I think the same thing, and it's been a little while since I've seen you because we don't really overlap that often, me being a tech skier before and Mm -hmm. female and you being on the speed team as a guy. Thinking about that recently because of how much we didn't overlap over like the five or so years we were on the team together. I don't think we were at any similar races. Maybe the Olympics. Yeah, Olympics, but, but then so separate this year with masks and everything. But we overlapped and you didn't really lo- relocate to Calgary, but we did overlap that one summer. I mm-hmm. think that's a good place to start because I always find some way that I relate back to a guest that's on but um ballroom dancing we were ballroom <laughs> dancing partners that's hilarious uh, my girlfriend said that oh you're gonna talk about like when you ballroom dance together because I don't know it was yeah it was funny and we I only ever did it really once we did this summer just as our like men's speed team we did another dance class but it was like hip-hoppy and... were you the best with your figure skating background uh... <laughs> I don't even know if I was the best, but because I couldn't see myself. I don't know the rhythm and everything, but I was, when I was figure skating, I wasn't the best at the artistry side of things. I was more into the jumps and the spin and all that. So that makes sense. (laughs) 
I feel like yeah. people think I'm more coordinated than I am because they'll like see videos in the gym. And they're like, yeah, I'll choose her as a partner. And I'm like, so uncoordinated. <laughs> like I played pickleball the other day and I'm like, you're supposed to be Olympic hands. What are you doing? <laughs> um, can you give us, I know this is kind of a tough question, but if you were to write a novel of your ski career during the national team, but just pick out those chapter headings, kind of those really major touch points, good and bad. Can you just give us a bit of a Coles notes? Because we'll jump around a little bit this episode and I don't want people to get lost and I want them to really know your story. Yeah, I can. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll go back quickly on the BC team. I was like the youngest coming onto that team with like Sausage Zaitz off, Morgan Pretty, Conrad Pretty, Ben McLean, all these guys. I was the youngest. They called me, my nickname was Baby when I was just joining the BC team. And then I worked up, I spent four years or so on the BC team. And then I kind of came into a similar situation when I joined the national team. I made the C team criteria. And uh, my first year on the teams, Eric was hurt. Eric Gay was hurt. So they had like kind of a spot on the, on the like speed team for me they offered it and like, it was totally my decision if I wanted to ski with the development guys or like fully jump into being with the speed team, like Manny and Robbie and Jan and Eric when he was back. But since he was hurt, I got that special opportunity to jump in with those vets. And it was, I think I didn't, I didn't think about it for a second. I just said yes, because that's kind of the person I am. And it's like, obviously, obviously a life was a lifelong dream of, being like with those guys and world cup speed skier and i hadn't done a world cup yet obviously i was like i just wanted the training you know to be submersed in that team and learn a lot from those guys so that was kind of my first that'd be like making the team and chapter one kind of on the national team i don't know what chapter two would be really it was probably when I was getting hurt, when I got hurt and, and Manny, Manny retired after his injury and Eric retired after his injury. That would be a big step. Cause I was skiing really well. And, yeah. um, and then I got hurt like pretty dramatically. I dislocated my knee and tore every ligament in my knee, except for the PCL. And I, t- and I ruptured my patella tendon. So um, it was, a the worst part about it was that I was skiing really fast and it was more like I hurt, hurt myself and it was quite painful and I was like screaming or whatever, but I was more frustrated. Like I was screaming because I was like, I was, I was like winning runs by like seconds with a lot of good skiers. And I think the frustration of not being able to go to the first race, which would have been a week later was what I was more upset about at the time, but I think it taught me a lot. Like I know more about myself and what I need and everything now after the two, three, now it's been three or almost four years probably since I did it. But the two years that I had to spend rehabbing basically and like returning to snow were what taught me a lot about myself. And I feel like I'm better as an athlete because of it. So I hurt myself I had a year of like basically rehab a year later I skied and then that whole year I was just like learning again somewhat which was actually a super good opportunity because I kind of took a step back and took it slow like I had a year of skiing 
originally, like in my head, I thought like maybe I could get back after a year, but it just didn't work out that way, basically. So I took that year and then the next year I, I raced. And that year I was like kind of building back into racing. Like World Cup speed is like another beast compared to like anything. Yeah. And even that, that whole year that I raced and I, I think my last race, I ended up in the top 30 in super G, um, in Salbach, which was like a really nice way to end it because I had worked hard all year and I didn't get like any really good results, yeah. but I knew that that was my path. Like I needed to just ski and kind of get back into my like good feeling and be able to let myself just ski and not put a lot of pressure on myself to get the results. And then last, yeah. So that, that would be the end of, I say chapter two and the, the injury chapter three, I feel like last season, last off season was nice to have a whole uh, like summer of training. It was weird because of COVID, I guess. And we yeah. were like <laughs> stuck in uh, our summer training was basically seven weeks in a row in uh Sasfe and Zermatt. And it was good. Like I had a great time. It just lacks a lot of like uh variability and especially for speed. But that whole year, that whole summer was I felt like it was nice to get a full summer of training, not rehabbing, just like focused on getting better at skiing and uh Going into last season, I felt good, but I didn't really have like a lot of goals as far as like uh, put in place, you know, I was more trying my best and seeing the outcome and my first super G race, I was on the podium and that was like almost That's a dream. So cool. It was a dream come true. Really. I did. I would say like putting myself in the position to be able to do that was kind of chapter three and chapter four is like, what, what more can I do? How can I build off of that performance? I wouldn't say repeat, like necessarily repeat the same thing because I don't believe that that's kind of how ski racing is. I, yeah. I want to like, you have to always be pushing the envelope. Okay. Can we jump? Can we like deep dive into each of these chapters then? You kind of said sure. four. So <laughs> the first is kind of your starting and being with those mentors and mm -hmm. did you ever do the Mike and Manny camp? I did. Yeah. You did. Is that where you are kind of Manny? Would you say he's your mentor? Oh yeah, for sure. Is I think that kind of where it started. Uh, well, I've known Mike since I was a baby, you know, like my parents and his parents were in like friends. And when Mike was born, my parents were taking care of him or whatever. And, and uh, same with Britt. And it was similar when I was born, you know, it's part of the, you're part of the community. So knowing Mike obviously helped me get into the Catalan camp, probably, yeah. I would say. But the funny thing is my sister applied and she didn't get it, Marielle, when, when it was the first year, I think. And I don't know why, they just had a lot of applicants and I don't know. Um, yeah, so she didn't get in. And then I got in to, to the camp and I met a lot of people there that like, they didn't necessarily have the same like, like uh, drive to be a like a World Cup skier as I did. I think that comes from being around Whistler and seeing Rob. Like Robbie was my neighbor growing up, and uh, Manny lived when he lived in like 
he lived in Vancouver, but when he was in Whistler, it was the same down the street from me in white gold. So we always joked about that when we were first like on the team together, we all kind of came from the same Whistler subdivision. And I think being like, uh, exposed to that from a young age is, is really important for the ski community, the young athletes. And for me and for my like goals, you know, if I didn't see that, I probably wouldn't have had the same like passion and goals. I didn't, if I didn't see Mike, you know, get his podiums and same with Manny and watch them on TV on Sunday morning or whatever it was, I wouldn't be here for sure. For sure not. I probably would have either kept figure skating or but continue playing baseball. Like, you know, it, I had a lot of other um, opportunities and I hated quitting sports. It was like my yeah. like least favorite thing to do ever. I would cry and, you know, it was, <laughs> I remember when I had to pick skiing, I was 16 and it was like, it ended up kind of being easy because I knew it, like it was time. Like I had to focus on skiing or, or I wasn't going to be able to ski anymore. And same with skating or baseball, you know, but, but having Mike and Manny and then going to their camp and seeing like, it's a lot of fun being, a, being an athlete, get a lot of cool gear and <laughs> I don't know, being, getting those, the national teams, uh, stuff even then was eye opening and kind of a dream come true. And I, yeah, I went to Mike and Manny camp when I was 15, I think. And then I made the team. Yeah. When maybe I was 21 or something like that. Okay. Yeah. That's super cool. That's what I'm trying to really push for trying to get, our younger generations more FaceTime with the older generations, which is why I'm kind of stepping back into coaching. And obviously Mm -hmm. I'm retired, but it's kind of, I mean, it's what Shona and Anna did with their ski sisterhood too, because then Mm -hmm. these kids can see someone working really hard or what they do for warm up or how they think about things or the cool gear or the cool experience. I I agree with that. I I'm thinking of doing something in the spring in Whistler next year with one of my kind of sponsors there, like a Whistler kind of based group of people that are supporting me. Um, it's called the Whistler old school initiative, which is they're just kind of Whistler locals. And if it's just local to begin with, I think that's important because Whistler Mountain Ski Club's such a big presence on the West coast. Huge presence. Yeah. And the ski racers that have come out of Whistler, it's like, crazy how many of you are there I was going through it today and I was like whoa that's a lot of mentors and people to look up to and a lot of I don't know people (laughs) your age to compete with yeah exactly yeah even like the people I think about when I growing up in the ski club it's no one's really around but they all pushed me when I was that age you know it was very competitive yeah me too (laughs) I think there were 18 of us girls on a development Ontario team Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ontario team was quite big too. And then now it's, it's so different. And that's my thing. It's like, okay, let's try to keep kids in sport. Let's try to have them choose skiing yeah. when the time comes or enjoy it. I, we talked about this a bit before I push, pressed record, but <laughs> you did an interview with Manny after your podium mm-hmm. and Manny challenges you, but how important is that challenge for you in a mentor and also in building trust in someone. Cause for me, it's, it's something I look for in a friend in a mentor in a coach. 
Yeah. I see it. I see it a lot as like caring, you know, the way like my family is in general, it's like, it's very like caring, but intense. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to say, like, it's really hard to like, I feel like the people you care about the most, you want to see the best for them. You challenge them because you care and you know, like obviously Manny knows what got him to the podium and he challenged Eric was a pretty good example as well. Like when I was on the team with him and Manny and and Jan, they knew they had experience. So they know like what's holding, what's, what's that one thing that's like holding you back from getting into the top 30 or, or getting on the podium or top 10 or whatever it is. It's the same with anything in in life. I would say like you kind of have to go out and get it, but there's, also a lot of time that people can give you that little bit of a nudge and if it's coming from a confident and experienced place I think it hits a little hard like it touches a little more it hits a little harder because you can't be like you haven't done or whatever you know you you can't like get around it you know you just say okay and put your head down and try your best you know I think I, you can't do it without those kind of people in your life for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I probably could have done that better. I was trying to be supportive and kind of show by example, but I, I maybe don't challenge people enough, but I, when I listen to that interview and I know how close you are, I'm like, that's really cool that it's, he challenges you back to push you to be better. And it's cool to hear that Eric did the same, but do you think, so you have this group of guys around you that you've had for quite a while with Jack and the Seegers mm-hmm. and the Alexanders. And this year it was crazy to see so many fresh podiums from all of you, many of you. Mm-hmm. How does it work within your group? Do you challenge each other a lot? Is it super supportive? Is it? <laughs> it's, it's very, yeah, very supportive. I, I honestly am surprised a lot of the time that we don't get into like our, <laughs> we do get into arguments and stuff like normal team kind of stuff. It's not never relatively about skiing. <laughs> skiing, yeah. it's always about something dumb, and, and uh, <laughs> people get agitated. And it comes with being on the road so so long. But when it comes to skiing, it's so focused, and everyone has their own like idea about skiing. It's a lot of internal like motivation where you just want to be faster than your teammate, or you want to be stronger. You want to like, I think that motivator is like so powerful it's never it never gets like heated you know like if we were playing like it's things that like we uh, do for dry land that it gets heated and you like make it agitated with each other but when it comes to skiing we're very positive and trying to help each other a lot of the time just get better and there's so much open conversation about like this technique and and what makes you fast courses in general, uh, the, the idea that they are, you can ski them a certain way and be faster or just the confidence you might need in one section that changes. Like you, you either lose a second or you kind of come out with a second. And I think hitting that as a team helps a lot. Yeah. I don't know how easy it would be to be an individual in this sport because just the amount of time you're by yourself 
and the motivation, <laughs> I feel like a lot of motivation comes from being with each other. And yeah. uh, I'm sure you noticed it over the years. You had a lot of different teams, a lot of different teammates. Yeah. And that's just not necessarily if it comes from the competition <laughs> or I don't know, the internal like motivator to kind of be better. Yeah. And Mitch and I talked about this because if I backed off at all in training, Mitch would crush me and I don't want her to crush me in training. You know, we're both competitive. Mm -hmm. You want to be faster and you're pushing, or if she got under a squat rack and squatted more, I'd get under it. And I'm like, I can do it too. If she did it, but then you back off from those things and you're so supportive and best friends. But we had some coaches that would say, why can't you do this? Mitch is doing this. Why can't you do this? And I think that causes this unhealthy comparison. Yeah, Maybe we've especially never had that. girls. Yeah, that's <laughs> what was my question. Does your coach foster the like it has to be competitive? Like that you guys are helping each other get better. It's very clear. We've never had to like like it's just it's always been a competitive environment. It's never had to be manufactured at all, like whatsoever, I would say. Like yeah. you show up, you show up together or as a team and it's like immediately like at least for my feeling like I always want to win it no matter what first round of training in a camp like it's on you know so and I think a lot of our my teammates have that same mentality like you start first run and maybe someone doesn't they're just like easing into it and you can have that on your own like if you understand that you're taking a step back and you're trying to change some technique or something and you're not going to be winning runs. I think that's also a really valuable skill. And you, you understand that when someone is, when you're like with the team and someone's going through that, they're trying to break it down and, and you respect that. But as soon as they're back and trying and maybe they're maybe frustrated because they're not within time or, for me, the same, you know, if I'm frustrated because Brody beat me by a second in a GS run, which is not, not necessarily my specialty, but it, I am really trying to figure out what I need to do to be closer to him or beat him, you know? And yeah. for me in GS is a pretty good example because it's like, I don't know why GS has just always kind of evaded me a little bit, but this last camp was quite good and I figured some things out just, I think a lot from watching other world world cup GS skiers more than anything. It feels good to like be able to conquer something that you might not have been the best at in the past. And I think that happens every day within our team and you see, it makes you happy to see guys on the team also like improve. And I think that's why we never really had to, our coaches have never influenced the competitiveness. It's just what we are like as part of our culture. And we talked about like culture has been a big word the last yeah. couple of years. A really big word. And I believe that our team has quite, it has good culture, like in a lot of ways. And uh, that's one of them, the competitive spirit and like just thriving to be the best, whether it be when you wake up, how much warm up you're doing you're eating well, you look good at dinner, you're like dressed nicely. I think a lot of that just goes into the, like into the team dynamic. 
and it becomes it inevitably becomes competitive in anything. It's ingrained like, in us. Yeah. We start talking about if you're if we should wear collared shirts, if we should we we're allowed to wear like a nice sweater, and it just like starts to be more competitive. And then we have to take a step back and realize we're all in this together, and our team dynamic is very good, and we're all friends, and we're lucky to be coming from that. You know. Yeah, and I think it's really cool the way you said it because for Mitch and I, it was super healthy when it was just natural competition, but when yeah. it started being manufactured and pushed upon us, then that's when I kind of started feeling a bit weird about it. But I think that's, it's different between natural and manufactured. And I think it's also, it's something that you always have to put into check because we're competitive. And so sometimes you'll be like, why am I so competitive with this person at like the ladder drill or mm-hmm. wearing a suit versus a collared shirt? And then you kind of put it back into check and you're like, we're competitive when we click our skis on and we're competitive in this part. But when we step outside of the hill, we're teammates. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right. I think it's kind of when it happens naturally. And then can you imagine like, what if you, what if you didn't have this group of guys as you were growing up and as you were kind of moving up the ranks, do you think it would be super different or you just have that internal drive and motivation anyways? Well, yeah, for me, I wasn't like, I've always been competitive, like you could you could attest it to my life like my sisters you know it's funny that like I am as competitive as I am because I you know I didn't have brothers I had a lot of friends but I think because I was in so many sports when I was younger and I always wanted to do the next thing like whatever riding a bike when I was young or like my parents put me on skis at, um, when I was a year old basically and always my sis having Marielle two years older than me, it was probably a good like benchmark because she's seriously, she's a girl. <laughs> she's a girl for one. So I was always smaller until I was, you know, until I wasn't. So we were pretty similar, like a lot of the way, like growing up in skating and in skiing and baseball, like softball or baseball, or volleyball, whatever we were doing, it was always a pretty even like fight until it wasn't you know yeah. like, I became, like I got stronger whatever but that made me competitive my my parents are quite competitive watching them play sports when I was younger and stuff just wanting to get on the field with them at like whatever however old I was 10 watching them play baseball in like a rec league or whatever even and going out to warm up and practice and all that it just developed this competitive nature in me and having a lot of friends growing up doing other sports and being from Whistler it's like all just put into you that you want to be you want to win you know yeah Uh, and then having these these guys yeah not having them I guess that was your question I would say it would be a lot harder because the environment the environment could be there and like you get a coach to set you the course and I find there's so much value in having like a pace, you know, Yeah. seeing who's fast and ever, there's always someone that's pushing, having six guys, you see what the fastest is basically. Yeah. Like you have six guys to go and whether it's me being the fastest on that day, you know, okay, I'm doing well because I'm beating five guys that are just as competitive as me. Or if say you're, 
fifth and you see what can be done on that course. I don't know. I think it would be really, really hard to be alone, you know, just to train alone. But in a, in a way, there's a lot of opportunities. Like you can go to any glacier in Europe and jump in with teams. Like we've had a lot of training with uh, the Spanish speed skier. His name's Adur, et cetera. It's basically his last name, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and he doesn't have a single teammate, but he trains with us. He trains with other teams. Yeah, so he gets lots of pace. Yeah, exactly. With lots so of teams, I but think, can't compare notes or push, you know, every second. I think in the end, like, yeah, for sure not. But I think the more the value in having a team is more in the time and more in seeing what is possible yeah. than even talking about it. You know, like if you think you're having a good day and you look at the times and you're like, I'm a minute or I'm a second, <laughs> I'm a second out or a second and a half out on the 45 second course. It puts you into perspective and puts you into check real quick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you find that time, like you, you go run one, you see, okay, I'm a second off and not necessarily if you like a lot of the time, I don't know how it is with a lot of athletes, but you can f- feel, you can change something and maybe try something different and be like, okay, well, I was skiing all at the bottom of the turn that run. Let's try to move this thing to the top of the turn and put a little more impulse into yeah. the, into a turn. And immediately you're a quarter of a second or three quarters of a second faster. And then you do the next five runs like that. And that's developing skills. That's training. I think, yeah, just having that kind of, rabbit to chase in yeah. a sense, is like the biggest thing for that and if you didn't have that I think it would be very hard me too me too and I heard you say that you never doubted you could make it as a kid and then I also read that as soon as you crashed you were screaming in pain your knee was all but gone and yeah. the first thought that went through your head is like I'm going to make it back well probably frustration and pain and then I'm going to make it back and where does your confidence come from Cause I, you seem so confident compared to me and I struggled with it for so many years, but where does yours come from? I don't, I don't know if it's the enjoyment that like I get out of it and the kind of, I don't know. I think it's experience, like the experience I've had, I'm not necessarily confident that I'm going to win, like win races or like I want to be, you know, you want to train to put yourself in that position to have the opportunity to win races. And I, I feel like I do everything I can. I think that's probably one thing that, that it is, is that I train as hard as I can so that I'm putting myself in the opportunity to, to like have those chances. I think another thing is that skiing is fun Yeah, <laughs> and, and that, I don't get too caught up in like the idea that it's like a make it or break it for my like life. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I skiing in my family has always been something we do for fun. It's obviously my job now. So there's a lot that goes into it, like training and you make a lot of like a lot of sacrifices outside of skiing to, do your job and be a world cup skier. You're on the road. 
I don't know, nine out of 12 months <laughs> and you don't get to see your family and all that. I'd say that's the harder part than being confident to try your best. I think that's where I've always taken my confidence from is um, trying my best. I get really like upset, <laughs> not necessarily upset because I like don't cry that often or anything like that. But when people say I'm not trying that, that is like boils my blood, like, because I'm always trying like 110%, you know, even if it's just in like a drill or something. Ballroom dancing, maybe. <laughs> Ballroom dancing, <laughs> uh, dry land, doing drills, you know, as soon as, if someone doubts that I'm trying and that's when I'm like, uh, I, I don't, I don't take that all that well, even though I do like, you know, I just kind of brush it off and get onto the next thing. I think that's, I've learned that from my parents, you know, I took that, that skiing was always fun and there was never a ton of pressure to be a world cup skier. It was more to just try my best. They gave me every opportunity to do it. And it's become like my life, you know, as you know, <laughs> you have to do a lot to put yourself in the position. And I think taking the experience that you have and all the investment that you put into it for yourself, you have to enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you about staying positive, but I think it was two birds, one stone there because it's kind of, if you enjoy it, you're also going to be more positive because a bad day is just a bad day on the hill. It's not really like life ending or career ending or your parents aren't going to, you know, get mad at you when you come home. What role do you think coaches play in that? Well, I, yeah, I think I've had a lot of really positive coaches. I've always had good coaches. It seems like whether it be in, I actually had one bad coach one time in volleyball and I, I think I actually quit the team for a year. I didn't quit. I just stopped going <laughs> because he was such a bad coach. Yeah, like he the was power negative. Of coaches, eh? Apart from that, I've had great coaches. So it sounds like you never questioned because in sport right now with Lewis Hamilton and Simone Biles, and you know, I've talked about it before too, is questioning your worth versus results. Have you yeah. ever questioned that? No, I'm a big, like I'm a huge sports fan. So I, I watch like a lot of, different sports you see a lot of people standing up for like i've i see lebron he's his, his uh motto is more than an athlete or one of the yeah. groups he works with uninterrupted things more than an athlete and i always feel like i obviously i'm more than an athlete in a lot of ways like being a skier is something I, or being an athlete is something that I've grown up. It, it, it like is part of my identity, but what I see in sport is when you're become a professional and become the best at what you do, you're inspiring a lot of young athletes. And I think doing it in the right way is huge. Like being able to inspire the next generation of skiers or even f figure skaters or whatever it was for me, it is way beyond just your day-to-day. -day. It's something also that my parents always kind of ingrained. My dad was big. He always wanted me to be a, a good, I guess the best way to put it is to be a good person. Always thank the volunteers and uh, always 
represent, you're always representing something bigger than you are. So you want to do it in a way that uh, is, it's good to see. It's good for one thing, but I feel like over the years I've developed it to be who I am and whether it's talking to young athletes and like really like getting into conversation with them and and I'm always open to do to to do it. Like I enjoy seeing where they're at at a, at 12 years old. Yeah, it's fun. And if they have questions and stuff like that, yeah. You you see Lewis Hamilton. He's trying to he's trying to put in opportunity for young drivers without the maybe that don't have the opportunity. I think that's huge. It's the same in skiing. Like I would say, a lot of people in skiing have the opportunity because of how they grew up. But I think opening it up to more people to make it more affordable, just to keep people skiing, it's so fun. It's such a good opportunity. Just being able to inspire kids, I think is where I am at and uh, trying to be the best I can be for the next generation. Yeah, I love that. I think that's such a cool kind of lesson to learn through it, your injury. Yeah. You probably, you know, that sport and obviously you're an athlete, but you're rehabbing and you can't really ski. So that's kind of taken from you. And we talk so much about physical injury. You know, you crashed, you had an acute injury, you tore everything in your knee, knee, broke bones, kneecap, Mm -hmm. places it shouldn't be. (laughs) But what kind of, I think of it as also a mental injury you know, because you have to rehab from it too, because it's an acute injury. At least when I've crashed, I kind of relive it in my brain. What, what happened, what went wrong. Mm-hmm. And if I'm ever in that situation, again, skiing, I find myself backing off because it's, it's scary, you know, that could happen again. And we do have a dangerous sport, but how did you, did you rehab mentally or like, how did that go? I think it came a lot, like a long, a lot of the time it comes with just like going through the physical paces. Like there's like that whole year that I was racing, but not necessarily trying to win. <laughs> I was, I'm always trying to win, but understanding that I might not be in the place to win or to even have great results. That whole year I was feel like I was mentally recovering still. Okay. Yeah. Know, having yeah. the confidence Training by doing so demanding. Yeah. I never really like, I still have flashbacks to like that injury, even though I don't really like recall it all that well. Like I remember before the crash and then like on the ground and during the crash, but, and I haven't seen the video even this is something that maybe it just, I never really got around to and I didn't really need to see something like that, you know? Yeah. And I've heard it's not that bad. Like it doesn't look that bad. Really? <laughs> um, from the outside. Yeah. But the biggest thing was just like taking baby steps and conquering like little things. Like the I'm I'm a big I have the idea that you should crawl before you walk and you should walk before you run and then you should jump before you ski or whatever, whatever it goes. Like I just took baby steps and mentally, like I was okay. You know, I, I, it just kind of worked for me, which I don't think, I don't think it would work for everyone. Cause 
that's kind of how I am. Like I go, go with the flow. I, if I'm not ready for something, I'll ease into it, but it usually doesn't take that long for me. I find running the biggest, it probably helped me the most because it showed me that my body could take the impact. And then when I got into like skiing, hitting bumps, it gave me confidence to, um, to be able to understand that I could hit bumps on my knee again. And then to crash for the first time is like a huge thing because you're like, you're like for a long time, not trying not to crash for sure, (laughs) which is kind of not a really good way to be a skier. Cause a lot of the time you have to put your all into it. You have to go as fast as you can. Yeah. Doing like kids fuel for the first time since my injury was like, it's like you take a deep breath after and you realize like, okay, I'm back. Like I'm here. I feel like I can, my body can handle it, but you really like get standing at the top of that course and you're like, <laughs> um, all right, here goes, like, here it goes, you know? Yeah. And I think you have to take baby steps, but you also have to give yourself the chance. Like you have to jump off the diving board before you know that you can do it basically. Yeah. And I think so taking baby steps is like one, one thing, but then doing it, it like, if you're taking little steps all the way to the diving board, but then you turn around, it's okay for the first time, but then you go back and you try again. And I think getting up, falling down, trying again is also a big thing. And in skating that taught me, you know, how many times you fall skating? It's like, I don't know. It's insane. Like as a kid, I don't, I don't even know how I did it. Learning my first axle, you know, you'd fall. I don't know how many times, probably thousands and thousands and thousands yeah water skiing too in your butt (laughs) yeah exactly ice hurts more though do you consider so when i crashed in downhill you might have been there whistler nationals yeah yeah i (laughs) i remember everything then lost memory but i remember not remembering like i remember not being able to remember anything but But i concussed right yes it's, it's because of the concussion right i like that's the weirdest thing that I don't remember some of my crash because I didn't hit my head really. It was just like a weird blackout. Trauma maybe. Yeah. Yeah, Mine was strange too, because I remember the crash and I remember not remembering. Like Mm -hmm. I remember I have no blackout period, Yeah. but I put on downhill skis. Of course, this is coming from a solemn skier, but I put on downhill skis maybe four days (laughs) ever after that. Cause I was like, I don't need to, what am I doing? I'm risking everything for this. Yeah. But do you consider yourself a daredevil? Because as soon as you hit the ground, you're like, I will be back. And a lot of people would be like, I am never doing this again. (laughs) You know, it's just something in me that was like, I need to be back, you know? Yeah. So I, I, like, I can't explain it really, but it was, I don't know. It's like ingrained maybe like the way you're, you grew and the way you're built and you're chasing your sister around. Exactly. But I think being good or like skiing really well at that point in time that I was hurt was a big motivator to come back to to, to get back to that. Because like, if you're leading up to a, like, say you crash, but then three months before you were like skiing, really, you didn't know, like, I feel like that would be heartbreaking if you're like skiing, maybe not as good as you ever could. And then you get hurt. I think that would be really challenging. Yeah. to come. And I think that that. like, 
when my when I crashed and Manny crashed the next week, my coach said at the time, "You'll be you'll be like not thinking about the injury at all." Like we had a lot different injuries for one, and both very severe. But Manny was at a point in his career where he was getting older, getting like more tired. His skiing wasn't as the best as it's ever been, you know. And I think it made it a lot harder for him to like come back all the way. But for me, I'm younger, I bounce back a little more and I was skiing well. So I think being able to come back to that was very, uh, <laughs> like very helpful in the motivating. Yeah. Which brings us to chapter three and your podium this year. Watching that was so cool. And mm-hmm. at Beaver Creek, which is, it's not a home race like Louise's. I get that. But in the U.S., it's still North Americans. Yeah. But can you go through that day a little bit? And when you crossed the line, did you know it was fast? Because you came from, what, 35th to 3rd? 35th to 3rd, yeah. So did you um, know? Did you have that I had no idea. I had feeling? no idea. No I idea. was like, oh, I, can, I skied the way I could ski. Okay. You I did was, your best. It was quite a tactical course. So I have been known to be good at like more like tactics tactical style courses and i was like maybe i tr- like did a little too much tactic there in that spot like i like maybe slid a little bit just so that i could come into a section well bring a lot of speed onto the flats so i didn't know like i was just trying my best that's <laughs> and cool it actually gives me chills thinking about that right now again but um yeah i didn't know the day was kind of funny as there was no snow in Beaver Creek, there's nowhere to warm up, basically inspect, go in the lodge and then try to get a couple runs coming into the start of the Beaver of the Super G, which is like the steepest start of a gnarly. course um, on the World Cup. It just kind of because it starts on the pitch where usually in the downhill you come on to the pitch and it's like kind of a big sweeping turn and doesn't feel that steep. But this start is like super steep can't see me but i'm very you can see me but your your listeners vertical vertical and uh i don't mind that like i like the challenge and uh i think i have a mentality that you push out of the gate as hard as you can and i think that helps you know getting into the the swing of things real quick and then not putting a lot of pressure on myself you know as a first like Louise Super G got canceled last year. So it was the first Super G and I was just like, you know, trying my best, good inspection, not trying over like too much, which has caused me to like maybe blow out in the past. And yeah, I hear that. <laughs> I watched some guys. I knew that there were some points in the course that were tricky tactically. So I made sure I skied those spots well. And then seeing the third, when I came to the finish, I was like, really? <laughs> for, for one. And then I was stoked. I was mind blown a little bit. And then I was like, if I can do it, someone behind me can probably do it. <laughs> but, but then again, then I thought again, you know, like you, your emotions are going up and down. I was like, yeah, but if I did it and no one ahead of me did it, it's probably pretty hard to do it, you know, coming from behind me. And then people were like, oh, you're fine. Like you're, you've got the podium. And I think I knocked Andy Sander off the podium by like a hundredth or something. So I felt bad for a split second. And then I was like, oh, 
I don't care. You know, I'm so excited. Was he cool about it? He was. He congratulated me. And okay. obviously he wasn't like super stoked, but yeah. And especially from 35, he probably thought he was on the podium, you know? Yeah. And then Riley was actually having a really good run coming into the like he was close to me. And then he made a mistake coming into like the 10th last gate or something and ended up 22nd, which were his first points. So I was like, I was cheering for him. And then he was like doing really well. And I'm like, Oh, (laughs) isn't it a weird position? Like you're a teammate and you're like, I want them to do well, but you're like, Oh, but wait. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Especially being in in third. And then I didn't stop cheering. I'm really excited for him. You know, I've known all those guys my whole life. So it was cool for sure. What's the, when I won, Yeah, I mean, I'm a lot further away from when you podium from when I won, but when I won, I look back and I'm like, what was the most memorable part of that day? And there's a couple of things that stand out. Like I can really remember what I thought about on the course and things like that. Mm -hmm. But what I, what really stands out is being on the podium and looking down at my teammates, Maddie Irwin was like in tears, but what was your, I thought it would be listening to our national anthem or I thought it would be so different because you imagine it but what was your most memorable part of that day I think you know you're like obviously I didn't have the opportunity to listen to the anthem I'm I was third so I was listening to the Swiss anthem (laughs) (laughs) um but being in the yeah seeing my whole team for sure was huge like I'm the first of our group to get on the podium and the first in a while, like four or five years for the yeah, men's speed. Sure. Yeah, men's team in general. Since Eric or Manny, whoever, mm-hmm. or Dustin maybe even. It was cool. I really like Beaver Creek. I love the snow and the the, the crowd and the sun. Yeah. It's <laughs> nice. But I think being on the podium with like Odermatt, who's a wonderkin, he's like obviously so good and like really talented really nice guy and Matthias Meyer who I really look up to and like his style of skiing and kind of watching him over the last few years and watching a lot of like video of him just to try to ski more like him and stuff like that being on the podium with him but like I was like overwhelmed I think until I got into like the tent with like uh, Mike Curtis who's the fist representative And then being like, the race was over at this point and it just being quiet and like realizing that it was happening for real. Like, I think obviously watching the Canadian Cowboys growing up and knowing that that podium is what kind of sets you apart from a lot of people that have tried and like been really close. It showed me what that what I could do, I think. And I think that was why it was so much of a dream come true. And obviously it's not done. And I want that no. to be, be the beginning. So yeah. Into chapter four, when you can, <laughs> how do we recreate and, you know, consistently press mm-hmm. and pressure that people, when you push out to start, people are like, Oh, better watch out. He's fast. Yeah. That was always my goal. If I'm consistently there, I'm putting myself in a good position to have luck. And as you said, if I'm trying my hardest, 110% all the time, you know, right Mm -hmm. there knocking on the door, then at some point it's going to open. Yeah. But I read something that on the chairlift, you were thinking about the finish line. And if you would be on the podium and you said you refocused, you put that in your mind and you just focused on what you had to do, the present, 
But how did you yeah. do that? Like, cause I think that I just focused on what I needed to do technically, okay. I think, but so you like changed I don't even really rem- you know how you said, you remember like what you're thinking about on the course? I don't really like, I was more focused on tactics. I think that okay. day, which is why I could just ski kind of free. I was just trying to get like the top of the turn and, and uh, be clean. And then where I knew I needed to take a little speed out or uh, be a little tactical, I was focused on that. So I, I didn't think about the finish line till I was there. You know, I need, knew, knew I needed three points on the course where I had to ski smart. And then I think being able to focus on that stuff, which often helps me, I would say yeah. having those like key sections. Maybe that's your superpower. <laughs> you yeah. know, maybe that's your, I was always, that's you know. what I, yeah. But then again, you try it, you try it. Like that's kind of my process process anyways in uh like date like a, a race date you know yeah. to have a good inspection find the key points and try to ski free like i was i'm really big on like i saw i think pintero one time in an interview said that he tries to have like extreme preparation but then once he pushes out of the start he wants to rely on like all the training he's done and the instinct and i took that and i've really been even my coaches are like, trust your instinct and all that. Like sometimes a lot less information for me is better because I can just rely on my athleticism and I know what I need to do on the course. I know where I need to be tactically. So having that uh, to rely on like instinct, I think, and I think that's where it comes from. Like a lot of guys that are fast, they're just skiing, you know? And I think yeah. that's where I want to be at least, you know? Yeah. And it may, might take some time and speed. Cause you, once you get to know the courses a little bit too, like now that you've mm-hmm. been on the courses a few times and you missed a couple of years on them, but a little bit more now then it's, you can turn off the brain and really focus yeah. on your, in, well, not even focus on your instincts, let your instincts take over and then focus exactly, on that, yeah. those tactics and techniques. And, but and I think um, that's something you need to practice too. <laughs> yeah. It's a skill and that's, we overlook it sometimes. Yeah. A lot of the time you end up thinking about technical focuses and then you realize that like when you're racing, you're not, you shouldn't really be thinking about that stuff Yeah, because it just breaks it down and makes you like that one millisecond slower, you know? Yeah. And it should already be habit, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's what you have to trust. Like trusting that. Exactly. Trusting. Okay. So our cheesy finale question, you've been through a lot. Like your, your injury is something that I think a lot of people feel inspired by because, you know, whether people are getting a knee replacement or they're tore their knee or, you know, they can look to you because you kind of did everything you could have done to your knee and you came back podiumed. It's incredible. What do you think makes you brave? Because you coming back from that podium or not, like putting that aside, you coming back from that, and standing in the start of Kitzbühel is unbelievably brave. What gives you that? What makes you brave? Uh, <laughs> I think what What's makes me secret? brave is where I've come from. The people around me that have been positive and knowing that I have been at the lowest and that, uh, everything is kind of up from there, you know, I think a lot of the time, and I'm just grateful, you know, I think the biggest thing for me 
the last couple of years since my injury is that I'm grateful to be outside. I'm grateful to be skiing. I'm grateful to have the opportunity to represent Canada. So any moment that maybe I'm kind of frustrated with skiing, which isn't often for honestly for me, I love it. <laughs> and I love the process. I love working hard, but any moment that I may be frustrated, I, I remember that like I could, you know, I, I was hurt once and that I, sh I should be grateful to be here. Not a lot of people get the opportunity. So I think the brave, the braveness is kind of, <laughs> it's kind of secondary because I'm just so like, I have the crazy in me to be a speed, a world cup speed skier. So that's kind of every, you can think about everything hard enough to be scared of it, I believe. But in the end, focusing on what I need to do to be at my best and positive, I think that's what makes me brave in skiing and brave in life is that I have a lot of people supporting me. And for me, being positive is the number one uh, thing to, to, I don't need to focus on, but people around me and coaches and athletes and everyone, I think it's an important thing to have in your life. Mike drop. I love it. That's your secret. Secret to bravery is gratitude and positivity and where you come from. I love that with a little hint of crazy enough to ski ski <laughs> on the world cup, yeah. but thank you for jumping on. I'm so happy that we could reconnect and spend virtual time together. Yeah. Um, hopefully we get some more, hopefully I can come see race in Beaver Creek or something in yeah, our bus. Some... <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's brave. Taking a part of in a bus that you so I was thinking about it earlier. <laughs> uh, yeah. Today we drilled through the roof and cut holes in the floor. So yeah, now the brave stuff's happening, but yeah. um, thank you so much. It's been amazing. And I really appreciated being your ballroom dancing partner, but <laughs> mostly being your teammate and uh, mm -hmm. you're a huge inspiration to a lot of people. So thank you. And I'm thank glad you. that that's a focus in your life and your career. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Appreciate the questions, the opportunity and everything being on here. Thank Bye, Brad. Thank Bye. you. Thank you for listening to Unspoken Bravery. My goal with this podcast is to connect with you through real life experiences. So I would love to hear from you. A hello, feedback, future ideas, you name it. You can reach me on my Instagram account at Aaron Milzinski or head to my website, aaronmilzinski.com. If you like the podcast, please share, review, and subscribe. I hope to see you back here to uncover your own hidden superhero.